0: This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. If you need anything from me, please visit crucialtalks.com and feel free to reach out to me. And if you could please rate and subscribe to the podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it. It really helps us build the audience of people that are interested in understanding what drives them and what drives others. Now, today's episode, we get to interview Roger Nirenberg. And what is really cool about Roger is he's he's outside of the people we've been talking to lately. I mean, yes, he's an author, and yes, he does leadership training. And yes, he works with CEOs of companies, and yes, he works with management of companies, and he's helping companies and industries think differently about their system, how they work. But what's really cool about Roger is that he is a maestro. He has a background in conducting orchestras. He has a background, and his love is truly music and the art of music and how music helps people really see what's going on in the world around them. And that's what makes him so different from the rest of the interviews we've conducted in the past and some of the other guests. And that's really why I was so excited when Roger and I connected, because I really wanted to talk to him about this, because he'd heard me say it before, that the human perception, the lens we use to view the world around us, is how we make decisions. And what Roger has done has taken his background in music And not only his background of music, but really that that art of music and the ability and the skill and the art it takes to get all these different people with different skill sets to work together to create. And that is where I think the value is in what Roger does. Now, Roger has created the music paradigm, which is really using orchestras and music in a way that allows him to help other people and other companies to be able to think differently. And that is where the value lies of what we're going to talk to him about today. So Roger still works regularly with musicians. He still works with with Fortune 500 companies. He's still doing music throughout everything he does. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome maestro Roger Nirenberg to the Crucial Talks podcast. How you doing today, Roger? Hi, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's really great to have you, and I found you really interesting, especially with this concept of music paradigm, because paradigm shifts are what people need to change how they see things. So how did you come up with this idea of the music paradigm, and and what have you done in the past that allows you to help so many people today?
1: Well, it's a very astute question that you're asking, and I love the language that you use, because a paradigm is a kind of a lens through which you perceive uh, reality and uh, interpret it. And what the music paradigm is is it allows you to to understand what it's like when music is your lens that you're seeing what goes on uh, in this with uh, a phenomenon that's similar to what happens in music and through that lens things become they snap into place they become much clearer it's easier to connect dots it's easier to understand what's going on and it's that understanding that teaches so I don't really do any teaching myself but rather I set up circumstances where people can gain insights by seeing their work uh through the lens of music
0: well and when you when you're talking about seeing their work through the lens of music, why do you think changing how they see their work or how they see what they're doing, why do you see that that shift as being important to people? Why can't why can't somebody just learn or see things the same way they always have? What is important about changing people's lens?
1: Yeah, well I think people should continue to see 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 things as they always have. But the thing is that life Unfolds at a certain speed. And a lot of times it's very difficult to connect the dots in our in our present life uh, to show the relationship, for example, between behavior and the results that that behavior generates, because it un- because our experience unfolds so slowly that by the time the result has come, it's not clear exactly what the cause was. But music unfolds in a much more compressed kind of way. And therefore, you can easily connect behavior to results. Because in the music paradigm, which always has a live orchestra present and the participants seated inside the orchestra, I asked the orchestra to try on a particular behavior spontaneously. And then immediately, everybody can hear what the result was. And so, because it actually happened, and because it happened spontaneously, it has a kind of uh, authenticity, it's not theoretical at all, it actually happened. And that's very powerful, and pretty impossible to deny, Um, and so, this is very disarming, Uh, even people who begin in a very skeptical way, they get won over because the demonstrations, are so fascinating,
0: and I love what you're saying here because it really sounds like you're putting people into into a lab of some sorts, into a an, a, an arena where they can see how some of these human behaviors and how some of the human feelings and the emotions behind decision making, how those are impacted based on what the leader does or how the leader interacts with those other people is is that what i'm hearing uh, i think you're
1: hearing it right for example with a client uh, where leadership is a uh, is a very important aspect of the change that they're trying to bring about because we know everybody knows that the world is changing fast and, um, and there's a lot of disruption going on and organizations are trying to get ahead of the curve. They're trying not to be left behind and that requires change. Now, a lot of times the change falls most heavily on the leaders because they're the ones who are responsible for enrolling the entire workforce, orienting them and having them understand the change but also getting buy-in. So if I have a client like that, I will ask in, in my briefings with them beforehand, I'll ask, you know, what are the kinds of leadership behaviors that are helping you to make this change? And what are the behaviors that are that uh, among your people that are not contributing, that may be actually interfering? What What's the dysfunctional behaviors that you wish you could change? So I will understand them, and then I'll find a way to, during the session to model them in the way I conduct the orchestra. So then I'm looking around because I know that these behaviors are very irritating for the musicians. They really interfere with the musician's ability to make music on the highest level. So I'm looking around for the musician who's, who's most frustrated, most annoyed. And then when I stop, I'll get the microphone into the hands of that musician and I'll say, what is it like? To work with this leader that you just that we just modeled that I modeled, and they start to talk about what it's like and what happens to the participants, is they get to hear what's being said about them behind their backs because of of course nobody confronts the leaders with this kind of feedback, um, and while that very uh, how would I put it, that powerful insight is being you know the leaders are hearing this. Nonetheless, they don't feel threatened. They feel completely safe because it doesn't have anything to do with them. It's just about the orchestra and me. But everybody draws the conclusions for themselves. And those things which you discover and which you'll take much greater ownership of than something that somebody tells you in a theoretical way.
0: Well, and it sounds like it really goes along with the fact that human beings really do make decisions and do interact with the world around them based on feelings and emotion because what you're doing is it sounds like you're you're looking around, you're looking at your orchestra, you're trying to pick out people that are that are either uncomfortable or have a have some kind of feeling about that situation you put them in based on how you're conducting, how you're leading, the orchestra, and by doing that, you're generating this, the same feeling or the same idea and allowing people to go on this journey with that person.
1: Yes, I think that's right. And then what they do is they connect the dots that, that leadership behavior continues to reverberate around, Uh, except in, in real time, in real life, it's not so easy to make those connections. But in music, It's crystal clear uh, because music is a very transparent uh, medium. You can you can see at the same time, you can see individual parts, but you can see the whole in a much clearer way than you can in real life. And also you can see long periods of time condensed into short periods of time. So so and in addition to which it comes with a kind of emotional feeling as well. That when when the leadership is good, you can hear the music gaining in its power, in its energy, in its uh, its expressiveness. Uh, And when the leadership is bad, you can feel the music growing stale.
0: Well, and when we're talking about music as a medium, music as a way to see leadership or to see human behavior I also like what you're talking about when you when you were talking about looking around the orchestra and seeing how people reacting. Because what it sounds like is that different people, I mean, they're sitting next to each other. They may be playing different instruments, but they're experiencing that moment at the same time. But what I've talked about on the podcast before with other guests and on some of the episodes I've done by myself, I've talked about the fact that two people can be standing next to each other and still experience things Differently, So with your experience, with all these companies you've worked with, with all of the different musicians you've worked with, with all the different personnel you've worked with, are you seeing that in these situations, two people, they might even play the same instrument, the same type of instrument, but they may experience how you're leading them in a little different way. Does this matter to how you interact with the person? Does it matter the outcome? I mean, is one person who's playing an instrument. Sometimes they play worse than the person next to them. How do you adjust for that? Because I see it in workplaces all the time where one person may interact with a leader a little bit differently. Some may have less of an impact on the system or the organization, and some may have more of an impact on the situation or on the system. Is that what you're seeing in some of the experiences you've, you've had with the orchestra?
1: It's an important question that you're asking. Uh, and, uh, the, the exercise in perspective that I do, because people begin and they're, they're, they're seated amongst the musicians, all spread across the whole room. They're, they're sitting with the musicians, but at a certain point, I'll take some people who are on the periphery and I'll bring them up to the podium and, ask them to listen to the same music, the identical music that they just heard from their chair. And they hear how incredibly different it was. Of course, because on the podium, all the vibrations of the sound are moving towards you and are are focusing around you. So you hear a, a different kind of energy and then you hear the whole thing in a way that just was not possible from your chair because in your chair you were you were in one particular locality on the periphery so it's it's revelatory for those people to experience the same organization in a different way and that's a powerful metaphor for the difference in reality between being a leader where you have access to uh, a lot more information of a different kind and also a different kind of responsibility than you do when you're a worker in your particular station. And it highlights why there is so much misunderstanding between workers and leaders and why workers often feel as though the leaders are not on their side in getting the work done. It's because leaders live in a different reality. And it's incumbent upon the conductor to understand the musician's reality and then to Address that reality and give directions to people in that reality if you want those directions to, to be effective. That when, when the conductor gives a direction to somebody in the orchestra and that person feels, I understand what's being asked of me, I have the tools, I can do that, that's very successful. But often what happens is the worker hears the, the, the direction from the leader and they feel like, I'm not sure what's being asked of me. I know it must mean something to him or to her, but to me in my chair, it doesn't mean that much. So this uh, this exercise of the podium and the chair, is what I call it, is very powerful for highlighting those kinds of issues.
0: Well, and I really, really like where you're going with this because you're talking about the fact that People do live in different realities, and realities, in my opinion, and one of the things I espouse is the fact that realities are constructed because people are, we're social, we're storytellers, we see things based on those things, that's what makes us so powerful, but it also can be detrimental. So what I really love what you're saying is there is a misunderstanding between workers and leaders, and in safety, and this is where I kind of want to go next. In safety, we have we're we're constantly having discussions about work as imagined, which is what leaders think, which which is what leaders put into to process and policies, and how work is actually done, which is where you get from the workers. Now, in the past, there's always been this this feeling that hey, workers are going to make mistakes, workers are the problem, workers are something we have to fix but now recently in relatively speaking recently we're having discussions in about systems and about organizations where workers need to be viewed as not not as problems but as where you can get solutions and this is where i love where you're going because what you're basically telling me is as the conductor as the maestro you're not telling a particular musician how they're supposed to play or You know, the technique they're supposed to use, but you're allowing them to work within their skill set to meet the needs that you have clearly articulated. And where I want to go with this is you have this really cool blog post about Mozart in a nuclear power plant. And what I really found interesting about this is you're using some of these concepts that I see in things about safety differently or new view of safety or what's called safety too. I see a lot of that in what you're talking about because you're focused on the worker and not the worker or the line personnel as something you have to constantly watch and manage and fix. But you're looking at them as how do we as leaders, how does the maestro bring value to the entire Orchestra. So that's where I'd like to go next is some of these lessons about how you can use these concepts to view workers and to engage with workers so that you can bring more value to the system. Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, we might as well talk about that blog since it has a kind of mysterious title, you know, uh, Mozart in the power plant. Uh, This was a a nuclear power plant that uh, had – had made great strides in, uh, in eliminating error, in speeding up processes in, in, in accuracy. But they recognized that there was one domain where they wanted to improve their, uh, their benchmark um, rating, which was that the initiative and engagement on the part of the workforce was below some of the other plants. And so uh, what we tried to do In this session was to make those issues come alive and show how the orchestra without anybody on the podium was capable of doing a lot of of solving a lot of problems of accomplishing a lot of things when they didn't necessarily have to have a conductor to do that and of course that's a kind of a revelation if you're a leader and you think that everything that good that happens isn't because of what you do because it begins to make you think, well, if the workforce, if if we can reinforce the the bonds that connect them, if we can get them to think about collaborating, then what it does for the leaders is to uh, liberate them from the preoccupation with those tasks and to move up to a higher level. And what the blog reports is that in the past – when there was some kind of breakdown in some equipment and there was a, a mandated conversation. It was the senior leadership that, that participated in that, and the junior leadership, who actually had their hands on the machinery, were silent while the others decided what to do. But after the session with the orchestra, there was an incident that happened, and during that conversation, it was the junior leadership that was participating. And feeling empowered and the senior leadership didn't really have to do anything because everything that was that was required, the junior leadership was taking over. And that enabled the senior leadership to be liberated to do things that junior leadership can't do, which is to look at interest, uh, industry-wide best practices and latest developments and to look towards the future of the plant and uh, and the way it was going to succeed and thrive. So that's just one example. Well, and I love
0: what you're saying there because you know, I don't know if you've heard the concepts of safety one versus safety two, and it's not a big deal if you haven't because most of that discussion is happening among safety professionals. But what I love about what you're saying is that you are basically encompassing this new view of safety. What you're doing is encompassing safety two. You're talking about Safety management principles where you understand and where you're helping organizations understand that human beings are really a resource that are flexible and resilient. And I love the example you gave that even without the maestro up in front, The orchestra, because they have skills, because they are flexible, because they do work together, because they have this skill set, they're able to solve a lot of problems. And that is truly what is happening in systems, whether it's manufacturing or construction or nuclear power generation. It really counts on the flexibility of the worker within that system that is so successful. And I love what you're saying here because it goes right in line with the belief that – People are not responsible, even though they're responsible for the mistakes, they're also responsible for the 99% of the time that things are going really well in the organization. And by including them, by making sure we view them as solutions to our issues, we are able to overcome some of the plateauing we see in performance. Because some of these these scientific management views, these more linear, bimodal views of human behavior... That is plateauing now. And now with people like you, people that are helping others see the value in human beings, see the the positive approach and the strength based approach to human behavior, we can get we can get outside of the rut we're in with human and organizational performance. That's what I'm hearing from you, which is what I, I really like so much about what you're doing. Well,
1: may i may I make a comment about that just before we go well, you know, it's one thing to to tell leaders that um, that they should empower their people, that they should uh, f- focus you know support them in in um, having more initiative and becoming more active. But all that is kind of uh, it's abstract. But when they see an orchestra and it's clear, it's so clear to everybody that this is not a scripted session and that the musicians don't know what they're going to be asked to do. And then, without any conductor standing on the, on the podium, they're asked to, to play a particular passage, and then to change the passage, and then to revise it. And they organize themselves instantly, very quickly, through nonverbal means. Um, and it begins to dawn on people that this is a workforce that really is capable of a lot of things without being told what to do. And so what it what it uh, that exercise inspires in people is the curiosity about whether that might be true of their own people. Nobody's telling them that nobody's teaching them that. But it's very obvious when you see one workforce doing it. And then when you see how engaged the musicians are, when there's no conductor on the podium, uh, it makes you wonder can you bring the power of the executive function and the managerial function, which which brings superior organization and uh, the c- capability of aligning the workforce? Can you invoke that and still keep this, the level of engagement that they have when they don't have the leader there? And then I show that there is a way to lead that leverages all of that capability, that keeps the same engagement, but yet makes the organization rise to levels that they cannot achieve without without some kind of leadership directing them.
0: So what I'm hearing is you as a maestro, you as an experienced leader of all these different people with different skill sets that we all need to reach our goal of playing a good piece of music or performing well. What you're saying is that those skill sets are super important, and because they have such a high-level skill, they can reorganize, they can deal with problems, and they can, they can still have a level of success, but then when you bring in a leader – a good maestro, somebody that understands the orchestra and and can see the whole system as a whole and how they're playing and has this kind of holistic approach to the piece itself, the musical piece itself, and what you're trying to accomplish with that, by, by putting somebody up there that has that that skill set, that kind of executive level skill set or that that broader leadership skill set where you're maintaining the engagement and you're maintaining the adaptability and you're enhancing the skills of the musicians, of the orchestra, or in other words, the, the workers in the system, you're able to maybe create something a little bit beyond what everybody could do by themselves,
1: and then it goes, it goes beyond that because one of the exercises that I do in every session is I, I choose somebody, one of the participants. And, of course, these choices are, are always spontaneous. Uh, and I place the baton in that person's hand. And then I guide the hand and I show them how I'm going to move the baton because ultimately I'm doing it. But they're going to, it's going to be in their hand and they're going to feel what it is that we're doing with that baton. But first, we decide in private how we want the music to sound, and then, without any consultation with the orchestra, but just simply by moving that the baton, they see that we can get the orchestra to to do exactly what it is that we imagined, and that's an incredibly powerful uh, demonstration of what leaders can affect. That that you can actually control. What's, what the workforce is going to do, if you respect their ability to connect, if you honor that in what you do, and yet you have a higher higher level kind of vision of what could happen, that you can actually bring that about. And it happens so efficiently and so quickly that everybody is, you know, has to be just really um, kind of amazed and impressed at the power of this kind of leadership. Well, I'm, I'm really liking
0: what you're saying here because what you're, what you're saying is that because you're showing people how to move the baton, they, they can start to understand how that impacts the entire system as a whole, how that impacts all these different players in the system. And so when you're talking about getting them to do exactly what we imagine that you're they're still looking at the same sheet of music correct
1: uh, absolutely they're still playing the
0: same piece of music so that same piece of music so they have that it's not like you're changing the music in front of them which means to me that means my music in an organization may be our policies and our written processes but sometimes when you look at those written words and like a musician looks at a written piece of music they may see that differently, and what you're helping people do is to align what they what they imagine it's going to be versus what it says on the paper. And that's what I think a lot of organizations are looking for is how do we align work as imagined versus work as imagined actually completed or how people are actually doing the work. I think that's a, a super valuable lesson. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people that start to see how they can align work as imagined or the the music, the piece of music, to work as as actually completed? What you're actually hearing coming from somebody looking at that piece of paper? What kind of feedback are you getting from people that that go through this this experience with you
1: well it's eye-opening um, for everyone of course for the person who has the baton in his or her hand you know it's revelatory because what people get very curious about what is it that that baton is doing what are you doing with that baton to enable that and then we we focus on how the directions from the baton are so simple and that, that, of course, is one of the principles of what makes for really good leadership is that the messages that are conveyed are, are generally quite simple. Uh, but to take complex reality that you're trying to bring it about and to distill it down to a simple direction, that is a very high-level leadership skill. And, uh, and that's manifest by the baton. And we show that when... When the baton is engaging the orchestra, you don't have to force. You don't have to push. It's just you kind of nudge the orchestra in a certain way and then you feel the power of the workforce doing the work. Uh, And so people get very uh, fascinated about what that type of leadership would be like if they were to exercise that. And I would think that a lot of them are thinking about in what way do I communicate with my people? How do, can I accomplish that with simplicity? And what does that call upon me in order to translate something that might be said in 100 words down to something that can be said in 10 words? Uh, and I think that's what great leaders do. They, they find ways of translating something which is big and important into something which is simple, easy to grasp, and especially easy to implement, and also takes advantage of all the skills, the, the technical skills, but also the collaborative skills of the workforce.
0: Well, I really like what you're saying there because you're taking advantage of all the skills of these other people. And what I, what I like about that is the fact you're saying you want to keep things, things simple easy to understand, something that people can implement, but yet still takes advantage of these of these higher level skills. I mean, these musicians are highly skilled. You can't put me in there, just right off the street and have me play at that same level. I would have to learn that skill set to be that flexible and that adaptable. And what I like about it is it sounds like that from one one music paradigm event to another, can the environment change? I mean, are you doing this in different areas?
1: Yes. It's, every session is completely customized around the particular client and what their goals are, what their success picture is, what their ambition is, and also what the challenges are, what the impediments are. And then I build a session. I always do it in the locality, wherever the meeting is. I always use the local orchestra wherever that is. And the orchestra comes in, I have 60 minutes with them to prepare the music. Uh, And so, and then, but we don't prepare the session. We just prepare the playing of the music. And so when the session starts, it has this, this freshness and everybody can tell after, after observing for about 10 minutes that the orchestra is being asked to do things that they, they haven't been prepared to do. And that's, that's why the most cynical people begin to get have that cynicism disarmed and that skepticism because they can see that this thing is real. It's really happening.
0: Well, let me tell you what I love about that because you're going into a new environment. To me, 60 minutes with an orchestra is way less than what you would spend preparing with an orchestra at an event where people are paying members of the audience and that sort of thing. And what I love about it is that you're going to different locations with different orchestras in different types of rooms, with different types of situations you're trying to deal with with a particular client. Yet, because you're focused on how humans interact in the system – their adaptability, their flexibility, you're able to deal with that environment because you remain flexible, you remain adaptable, but you are you are in that system or in that new environment with a skill set that allows you to adapt. And I think that's what we see in a lot of workplaces is the fact that people, they absolutely need to be flexible and adaptable, for the system to move forward positively, for the system to succeed. And that's why I love what you're doing because it's more a a skill-based approach. It's more of a recognition of how people are so valuable to our human-based systems because you're able to deal with those changing environments. I think that's a super powerful, just just your experience alone in using different orchestras in different parts of the world or different parts of the countries in different types of rooms, just your experience alone shows how valuable people are to all these different systems that we're in and the changing environments that really the complexity and the changing environments we're in now, really we need to understand that because things change so quickly that you need the human being in that system for successful outcomes.
1: Well, Mike, uh, you've unlocked one of the important secrets of the music paradigm, which is never stated, and many people don't see it, but that during the whole process of interacting with the participants and interacting with the orchestra and designing these role-play exercises and everything, I am kind of modeling the leadership that they're trying to advocate for, I think a lot of presentations uh, before audiences underestimate the intelligence of the audience, and what they do is they, they, they deliver to them the things they want them to understand uh, and they don't put them in positions where where those people have to discover it for themselves and have to have to have to learn it and see it. but I think that by giving them the minimum but giving them enough so that they can connect the dots, the learning is much more powerful. And, and that's what I'm doing. And, I, and by having modeled it myself, I, I believe that people will reflect on that and try to take away what they can and apply it in their own professional lives.
0: Well, and you hit another great point there because the fact that people need models – is well known. I mean, I've talked about it before. When, we, when we're talking about adopting a new role or a new identity or adding behaviors to our existing roles, it's what is called in, in social identity or, or in self-categorization theory, it's the role of a prototype of a model of behavior that we can glean information from so that in our minds, we can mold this new model that we want to that we want to subscribe to, that we want to be able to grow into, and I think that's that's a great point that you made because what we're doing in in organizations is that we're we're trying to get people to understand that that prototype of behavior is really super super powerful because I think you wrote another blog where where you talked about workers and about human beings and I think you called it beauty and safety or beauty versus safety or something like that where yes, that's, yeah and you're really talking about how how workers may be afraid to and I think the terminology you used was to be to break that mold or to be outside of that mold and that's what we're talking about is when we want to change behavior the people that we're trying to change or the people that need to change behavior or want to change behavior, they need to be comfortable with that, and I think that's what you're alluding to with this idea that you're not only serving as a prototype for some of these leaders to gain different skill sets, but that idea of prototype also applies to the worker. They need to feel okay with their engagement level in that organization to be able to help that organization succeed.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, some people will model themselves after the conductor. And some people will model themselves after the musicians. I remember one one guy in the discussion afterwards was talking, he said, I felt like I wanted to grab one of those violins and play myself because he could feel the energy and the, uh, the trust and the connection within the orchestra. And he, he wanted to be part of that. He just wanted to feel that. And what a fantastic thing to take back to work. And, and say with this feeling of this confidence that this can be done, that we can create that kind of community, that kind of uh, that kind of working together. Uh, so that's just another way of people uh, using a, a role model to inspire them.
0: You know, that is really an awesome place to, to talk and someplace where I'd like to kind of wrap up this episode, because what you're saying is. And this is what I'm hearing is that employee engagement, and I don't care if that employee is the the violinist or a cello player or anybody else or the maestro Mm -hmm. themselves, that level of engagement comes from people that want to feel that level of engagement, that want to be engaged, that want to be part of something great, want to be part of that energy, want to be part of that purpose and when we can build that system in that way when we can create the environment where people do feel engaged and do feel like they're serving a purpose and do feel like they're valued they're more likely to engage at that level and that's how we get beyond or outside of the rut we might be in or increase our performance that might be plateaued now because we're we're really tapping into that level of engagement and that level of performance and can you as a maestro as the conductor as somebody that is in front of that orchestra can you see that when that violinist is engaged and empowered and feels that level of purpose do you feel that when you're seeing the orchestra play?
1: Yeah well you see it you feel it and you hear it uh, and uh, you feel the vibrations of the music on your face and your, your body. Uh, it's, it's very real and, and of course it's beautiful too. Um, and we all know that every, every business enterprise, regardless of what it is, there's, there's always an emotional component in the way people work together. And the music, it liberates that. It it gets people to, uh, to feel it. We don't even have to talk about it. They just feel it. And ultimately, you know, bringing about changes in your effectiveness at work always has a feeling component.
0: Well, I think that's really the key here is that you're understanding the emotional part of a human being, which is. I mean that's super powerful. It's how we've been programmed forever before technology, before we, you know, started living in cities and all of that. It goes back eons on how people are programmed cognitively, emotionally, and what I love about what you're doing is the fact that you're you're tapping into that, but you're tapping into it in a way that helps people see it and feel it so that they can start impacting the other people around them in this positive way. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, you, you've you really hit a lot of great areas in a different way that are so valuable to people. So I know there's going to be people out there that want to get more information from you, that want to contact you, that will want to figure out how does the music paradigm how can that help them? So how can they get a hold of you? And what kind of, of services do you offer for people?
1: Well, first of all, they can find the blogs that you've been alluding to on the website, which is musicparadigm.com. And there are also videos there. And uh, there's a way to reach out to me directly. Uh, and there's a calendar that shows where where I'm going to be and when. Uh, and if they want to, you know, explore this and find out when I'm in there their vicinity, you know, they could they could probably sit in on on a session themselves. And they especially they can write whatever questions it is that they, they're curious about. So it's the easiest thing in the world to make contact.
0: No, that's really great. I'll put a link to musicparadigm.com in the show notes for everybody out there. Roger, this has been a great conversation. I mean I learned a lot just from the short time we spent together You have a lot of great insight into into a lot of the issues organizations are trying to wrap their heads around. And I love the fact you're doing it with music. I love the fact that you're doing it with different orchestras. I love the fact that you can take what you've learned after all these years of experience working with different orchestras and apply it to things like nuclear power and apply it to things like uh, human resources. It's just a, it's just a great lens and a great filter for people to see these different types of human behavior and different types of systems thinking. So I really wanted to thank you for coming on the crucial talks podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. I really enjoyed it. I was really,
0: really good. Thank you so much. Now, everybody out there, whether you're a new listener or you've been listening for a while, if you have a chance, Please visit me at CrucialTalks.com and connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Please share the podcast. Please review it. Please rate it because conversations like the ones we just have with Roger are super valuable, and they really give us a different lens to look through when we're trying to deal with communities and relationships and organizations and systems. It's really powerful, and I'd love to grow this community of people that are interested in what drives them and what drives others. So, have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.
1: Please review, share,
0: and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.